It's the TEH Podcast, episode 118. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So, Gary, I hear you have a new computer. That's right. Got the new MacBook Pro with the M1 chip in it. Is it wonderful? Just today. It actually is. You know, there's <laughs> been a lot of... Uh, a lot of talk the last couple of days is they've people have gotten theirs and they're running bench tests on them and finding they are so fast and comparing them to you know machines that are way more expensive um, and I actually so I was excited so I actually ran a, a bunch of benchmarks on my existing MacBook Pro which is a 2016 model and my Mac Pro which is a 2019 model with 12 cores GPU et cetera et cetera right. and prepared all of those benchmarks, like how long it took to do things and everything. And then I was ready to go when I got this new Mac and run those same things on it. And it performed pretty much as I would have predicted. It blew away my 2016 MacBook Pro, even though technically that's the, that's the, like the medium level model. That's the one with the four Thunderbolt ports. It was an i5, not an i3, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this M1 is supposed to be replacing what was the i3 low-end two Thunderbolt port model. Um, and it, it wasn't even close, not even close in terms of speed. But what's surprising is that in many of my tests, it blew away my $9,000 Mac Pro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, where it didn't beat it, it was competitive. Like, for instance, I did, you know, not wanting to rely on actual, like, benchmark software and stuff. I built a project in iMovie that I knew I could recreate, you know, step one, step two, step three, recreate it from scratch really easily. But it was tough. It had filters and transitions and 4K video and everything. And on my Mac, uh, on my Mac Pro, 54 seconds to render it out. Two seconds less than the actual length of the video, which is 56 seconds. And on my macbook pro the older one it was like two minutes and 20 seconds or something like that way longer on this new one it took one minute and 12 seconds so you know easily beating the old macbook pro right but uncomfortably close to my 12 core (laughs) i mean the thing has a gpu with 16 gigs of ram in the gpu it should not be that competitive right it should be able to go and just plow through that and it's iMovie it's apple's native software so, uh, so yeah, and I ran a bunch of other tests. Basically, what it comes down to is multi-core stuff, my Mac Pro 1, but my Mac Pro has 12 cores. Right. If I actually like divided by 12 and then divided the scores I got on my M1 by 8, the number of cores on that chip, right. it's actually about the same. Huh. Um, now, keep in mind, this thing costs $1,200. Actually, you know, I'm sorry, $1,300. I actually have a $1,500 model, but that's the size of the hard drive, not any anything else right. that I got. So, you know, I could have spent 1300 bucks, gotten the uh, 256 gig model. I would have the same scores and compared to a $9,000 Mac Pro. <laughs> yeah. So you're so, regretting that purchase? Not the I, new one. <laughs> well, I kind of am scared that I spent a lot of money that I might not have wanted, you know, uh, that maybe you know, maybe that Mac mini <laughs> I know. competitive against it. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I, I still have the faster Mac, but I don't know if it's worth the price. And if next year or even early 2022, they come out with a new Mac pro, right. 
I mean, I'm going to be forced to upgrade because that's the, that's I the can't one imagine. that scares me, right? When they actually do a true Mac Pro that's optimized to truly replace your existing Mac Pro, sounds like it's going to blow it out of the water. Yeah, and uh, and not only that, it feels fast. Like it does wake instantly, like like an iPhone. Mm-hmm. It does like. I go across the bottom of the dock and I launch apps on it and it's like bing 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 they just launch 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 it's like what what how is that possible is that a video of it happening or is it actually <laughs> happening um so it's really cool and uh I did I tested out a lot of stuff now you know the neat thing would be to test out software before it's made universal before it's actually compiled for M1 right but Apple and other developers have been so fast compiling it for for it that I had trouble finding software like I was like oh yeah affinity photo let me try that oh wait that's been updated for m1 it's like I can't didn't even get the machine fast enough to be able to test out affinity photo before it was compiled for m1 so that's like a sign that we're not in a situation like we were many years ago when they went to Intel where it takes months and months for developers Right. When I was going through my apps, the ones I use and own, trying to find one that hadn't been updated in the last week for using the M1, and I had trouble finding it. So I had to actually go to Photoshop. I actually had to install Creative Cloud and download Photoshop. And Adobe has said they're already like test. Actually, Adobe, I believe, already has the beta test. If I go in Creative Cloud to beta tests because they right. like to do that, I believe I can download it. But I didn't. I I wanted to test out a an app that said. Intel right. on it instead of Universal. And you know what? I launched Photoshop and I brought in like a huge image and I ran some filters on it. I was like, this doesn't feel like this is everything that is instant. You know, um, this definitely, Photoshop has struggled on that old MacBook Pro. I don't even have it installed on that because right. it's like, now nah, just use it on my Mac Pro. It didn't seem to have any delays anywhere using this made for Intel version on the the new machine so yeah wow that's impressive so you know and you, you know i can't think of any other standard app that's not a game that might be harder right. you know dealing with the intel translation right right i suppose it would be interesting to like install world of warcraft or something like that yeah but, but um that's my I, next I, thing i do have i you know i have some games that i own i'll have to try looking through my catalog i think i've got like civ 6 or something like that and a few things like that but i haven't played them in so long that i don't really know like how they're supposed to feel right um but yeah i I suppose other people more gamer types may actually beat me to that and talk about like how this game works or that game works have there been any disappointments so far, not really. So the, the next thing that I did immediately was I wanted to see how iOS apps ran because that's the big feature, right? Um, so I went ahead and looked at the App Store, and first I figured out, you know, finally I have an answer to how you actually get iOS apps. You do a search, a regular search, like you're pretending to search for the iOS app, and nothing comes up. And then you notice at the top, it says Mac apps, iOS slash iPad apps. And you switch over the search to the other one. And then you get results. I suppose that's because they haven't really, you know, developers haven't caught up yet to like, is my app 
ready for this. Right. So they're not going to be like featuring things yet, you know? So as soon as I switched over, I, I did a search for me, <laughs> my company, <laughs> Clever Media. And then I it was like, oh, nothing. And then, oh, switch over to iOS, iPad apps. Oh, here's a bunch. And then I found one. I was like, yeah, this is one that I was really curious. You know, I was thinking this could be great on the Mac. It was my, my um, one of my word games. And I downloaded that. And of course, it took like seconds because it's made for iOS. So it's a lot more compact and it ran perfectly. A nice little window came up and I was able to play the game in it like it was a little iPad window almost. But, you know, you really couldn't tell. It didn't feel, you know, there, there anything weird. I wish there was a way to change the um, scale. Like I wish I could have dragged the bottom right hand corner and made it larger. Oh, right. Right. Um, but it was okay. Now, I went and looked at some of my other games, some of the games I haven't updated in many years. And those appeared very tiny. They obviously are looking at the number of pixels that mm -hmm. the game is supposed to be using and then taking that literally. <laughs> so um, I was a little disappointed in that because uh, those games are completely unplayable. But I did find something interesting. The ads appear, <laughs> which... I assume they wouldn't, and I'm not really sure what to think about that because I almost feel like I'm violating some sort of Google AdMob policy that these ads are actually even appearing on a Mac screen, not a mobile screen. Right. I, right. I don't know what the deal is. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna now that I can do this, I'm gonna go through app by app that I've got and uncheck the make available for Mac for the ones that don't look right, and oh, okay. the ones that do look right, maybe I will start um, talking about those a little bit more um, as Mac, available for the Mac if you have the new processor. I'm kind of surprised that they haven't come up with a scaling. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll come up with a scaling solution. Um, I would like the to other, see it, yeah. But the other thing is um, your apps clearly work uh, if you're using a keyboard and mouse. Or just the mouse, really, because a lot of my apps I design just for single touch, like a word game. Just touch here, select something, touch there to move the move the letter, just drag. You know, it, it doesn't require um, keyboard at all. It doesn't require multi-touch. It's just simple as could be. I designed a lot of games like that in the late 90s and early 2000s mm -hmm. um, just to be like that because using the keyboard in a web browser was uh, problematic back then. So... Right. Um, and these games have, I've updated over the years, but the designs of how the game actually plays have stayed the same. So, but that is the way it's done then though. If touch is basically your mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the way, like when you simulate, you know, when you're developing, you simulate stuff, although they do have ways to simulate other types of touches. They're more complex, not something you would expect a user to, you know, to do. So, right. Well, cool. So um, you were saying you've got a uh, a video uploaded already with your first impression? Yeah, I just uploaded uh, one. So, you know, uh, we'll, we can include a link to that. It's just basically I do all those benchmarks and I talk about stuff. I, I did find, oh, so yeah, the other thing to talk about is you know, the iOS games. You think, great, I could play Angry Birds. I can play Monument Valley. I can play all these other great games. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> oh really? Um, now some of them have Mac versions. Maybe they they un, the developers unchecked it because it's like no, we already have a Mac version that you they don't want to play. compete with themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, and and the Mac version has like stuff in the menu bar and more features and better knows. experience. Yep. I didn't go and like, but I I looked for, for lots of things to see um, if it was of you know available, and uh, I was disappointed to see a lot of games missing. 
one of the games that I play, just one of the little strategy, you know, uh, games, um, I was thrilled to see was actually there and it ran right out, right out of the box. I like downloaded it, ran it. I was like, Oh, this is bizarre. I'm playing this game, you know, that I play for like five minutes every day, building my little empire. Um, <laughs> okay. You gotta, you gotta share, which one is it? No, it's called Domi Dominations. Okay. So dominations with a capital N, dominations, right. you know, and uh, and yeah, it, it's like now I'm playing. Now it's like on my MacBook, <laughs> and I'm clicking on things, and it works, and it's really zippy, and and it another actually opportunity works. to suck your attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. But then one of the things I know people are going to look for right away is how about Instagram and how about TikTok? Oh uh, yes. These don't have apps on the Mac or PC or anything. Right. Um, nope. Those apps do not come up in searches. So in terms of Instagram, they definitely said no and unchecked that box. They don't even have an iPad app for Instagram, which is always one of the weird things that's bothered me. So it's so, iPhone only. It's iPhone only. And it looks like TikTok's the same way. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, I think Instagram, we could, it's been years and they still don't have an iPad app. So yeah, that's, they probably know what they're doing. They don't want it to be anywhere but the phones. Right. TikTok, I don't know what they're thinking, but it could simply be that they looked at it a while ago and said, oh, we need to refine some things, uncheck it for now, and you know, we'll, we'll get it back in. Who knows? By tomorrow, it could be up there. We, we don't really know what the reasoning is why some of these apps are missing, um, and it could be for the best of reasons. Right. So. I know that when it comes to Instagram on anything but a phone, um, the the thinking is that, as I understand it, they explicitly don't want a desktop experience. They don't want you to upload from your from your desktop yeah. to prevent things like automation and marketing and, and basically ruining the ecosystem. Um, even though, as you discovered and and I have emulated, there are workarounds to do some basic uploads from your uh, from your PC uh, or your Mac. Yeah. Um, that it's still somewhat hobble. You can't quite do everything that way. They really are focusing. And if it's been that way for a long time, I don't think that it's something that's on their radar. It wouldn't surprise me if they continue to leave it disabled um, in the scenario that you're running now. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and I then think TikTok, we'll... who knows, right? I mean, uh, uh, if all of a sudden all the kids start using Mac laptops, then I'm sure TikTok will follow. Yeah. But <laughs> that's... <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. Um I, you know, I think we'll also things will become more transparent in the future, you know, as they're asked about it, as different companies are asked, oh, why aren't you allowing your app right. to be on Mac? And maybe it'll, it'll be a gauge for them. Maybe they think nobody wants to, nobody wants to play my game on the Mac. And then after they get a hundred requests, they'll say, oh, sure. well, I was wrong. Maybe let me go ahead and, um, and work on this. Uh, well, especially if right. it's basically for so many apps, just flipping a switch that says yes. Yeah. Um, you know, 99.9% .9 of the app just works. That's, I mean, it seems like it would be an easy decision for them if there were a, uh, um, if there were enough requests for it. I mean, to give you an idea, uh, my game Word Tiles is a game I built in Adobe Air <laughs> uh, maybe seven years ago. I last updated it well, I don't. I never really had a major update for it. I probably a year or so ago, I maybe did a minor, just you know, bug fix update, um, and I haven't touched it since. And it's no ads; it's a pay app. Uh, so 
that's one of the reasons that I knew it would work well. I'm worried about those ads, whether or not they really should be on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's, you know, it's a good, clean app that should work really well. But I hadn't done anything to it, and I hadn't tested it. I hadn't done anything. And by all accounts, something built in Adobe Air, you know, uh, you know, you're building stuff on top of building blocks that are on top of building blocks. Right. You know, going back years, um, it it would not have surprised me in the least if it just crashed on launch or something was horribly horribly wrong with it. Um, so, if that works, and it really was just flipping a switch, or actually not flipping a switch, because I have to turn it off to not have it available on the Mac, not yeah. turn it on, then uh, then it should be that easy for other developers as well, I'd imagine. I'll be going through and probably trying to reload a lot of the previous purchases I've made um, cause just because that's the low-hanging fruit, right? Going through my list of like, oh, I already bought this $5 game years ago. It's still, you know, now I can do it on my Mac. So let me just go and see how it looks and uh, trying those out. Cool. Yeah. Well, you're making me jealous again. Like I, when I was watching the announcement last week, it was kind of like, oh, do I need a new machine? Damn it, not really. <laughs> but it sure is tempting. I know. It's nice. And of course, it's got the nice, you know, the most modern Mac keyboard. Yep. And it has uh, the also the touch bar, you know, has the escape, is its own physical escape key. And there's a few other changes from what I had previous, but not necessarily to what was previously available, um, like say a month ago. Right, uh, you know, right. It almost looks exactly the same as that, is my understanding. Well, cool. I'm glad yeah. it's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it's turning out to be to be a, a worthy successor. I'm looking forward to what they uh, what they end up doing with it. Well, that's, seeing more apps come on come online. It, yeah. Well, that and the exciting thing is is that you know this is their first generation of this chip. Right. I'm I'm sure that they I'm sure there was they could have gone further with the speed and power of it, mm-hmm. but they were being conservative. This is the first one. Let's put it in the low-end machines, the MacBook Airs and the Mini and, and this model here. And and I'm, I'm sure there's a team that's already working on a high-powered version of it for perhaps the IMAX. Uh, and that would be the next logical thing, would be IMAX and then the higher-end well, MacBooks. They, they've done a couple of interesting things, right? I mean, they've, they've certainly proven that they can produce the hardware and that the hardware works. But what I'm hearing from you is that the transition with respect to software is yeah. way more seamless than I was expecting for sure. And I think that that's the big market proof they're doing with this this round of equipment. Yeah, definitely. And it, it it's really damn impressive that it's so... Um, it works so well. Now, we talked about this last week, and I saw you mention it somewhere else. I forget exactly where. What, I, what I'm really looking forward to is to see if um, solutions like uh, VirtualBox, Parallels, VMware, yes. if they ever end up with an opportunity to run Windows on this thing. There was a bit of an update for that. Okay. Uh, Parallels uh, did say that you know they've got a beta test going on for... Or, or Sumo have a beta test going on for their, uh, you know, uh, M1 version of their right. software. Parallels desktop. Uh, and that'll run Linux, basically. Um, you know, it's not going to run Windows. They're not translating anything. It'll run stuff that runs on the processor. But they did mention in there the fact that Microsoft is apparently working on a version of Windows that would be compatible with running on an ARM chip like this. And they linked to it and everything. And that was, 
that was a really interesting bit of news. I don't know what that means. I don't know if we're talking about months or years. And I don't know if we're talking about like, well, Windows will work, but every app needs to also be updated. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know where that takes us. Um, yeah, it, it was seems, an encouraging bit. It seems like what you really want is the, the, the emulator we talked about last week where, yeah. where, you know, something it's basically providing a virtual x86 platform on top of the M1. Um, but uh, exactly how difficult that is or would be, uh, well, clearly Parallels has elected not to go that route. Yeah, the, um, another thing to consider is that before Apple went to Intel chips, there was a virtualization solution. It was called SoftPC, and you could install that software on a PowerPC Mac, right. and it would virtually emulate an Intel chip and allow you to run Windows. It mm -hmm. was not fast. Right, yeah, yeah. But that's, it did the work. Problem. Yeah. So, it, so things, if you had accounting software, say, you could run the accounting software. You weren't going to play a game on it. But you know, if you needed to test what things look like on a web browser, you could use it, which is exactly what I used it for. Mm -hmm. um, now things look to be a lot better in terms of being able to uh, virtually emulate an Intel processor with an, you know, a, an ARM chip, um, we could at the very least see a solution like that. The question is, is it worth it? Like, right. is the market the same? You know, I always tell people, I was telling a, a friend of mine who does work and had a, a rare request for having something work on Windows. Uh, mostly they do Mac development for things. And they basically asked me some questions about what they needed to get to test out their stuff on Windows. And one of my suggestions was, well, you're getting paid a lot of money for this job you're doing. Spend $700 and buy a PC. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be like the greatest, you know, it's like, what's your target PC? You know, you're not, you don't need to buy like a $3,000 PC because that's probably not what, you know, people are going to run your thing on. Buy a seven, you know, you can get like a $400 one, but buy a $700 one, you know, like a little small mini tower thing. Right. Hook it up to a monitor. You've got a keyboard, and just use that. Go to Costco. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so you know, there's that. That's a lot better than back, you know, way back in you know 20 years this when it might true. cost yep. more. Yep. Um, and it's easier to network things today, and you know, there's cloud services, and they could both be hooked up to Dropbox, for instance, and go back and forth really easily. Um, so there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that approach. I wouldn't be all like. Oh no, I'm not I can't emulate, you know, Windows anymore. What am I going to do? I would just be like, "Oh, I'll just buy a $700 PC." And there you it's go. It's interesting because the the emulation approach technologically, it's very feasible. Um, the only real question is how fast will the result be? As you mentioned, soft PC was slower, significantly slower, I suspect, than uh, running on native hardware. Yeah. Uh, given that the M1 seems currently to already be a pretty peppy machine, um, it's conceivable that a well-written emulator could work and work well. But regardless of how it works, the one thing we can say is that it is a significant piece of effort, a piece of work to make that work and truly emulate not just the x86, but the, the Windows um, you know, underlying system that uh, there would have to be, you're right, there would have to be a market need for it. And given that $700 Costco PC, um, you're right, the market is definitely different than it was in the soft PC days. Yep.
So what have you got? Oh, let's see. So, well, first of all, we have to at least acknowledge SpaceX. Um, yes. They launched yesterday, or I think the day before, I've, I've lost track of time. Um, they launched four astronauts and uh, baby Yoda up into <laughs> uh, up into space. And yesterday, I think it was, or maybe it was this morning. Again, I've lost track of time. They successfully docked with the International Space Station. And it was actually, that was a pretty significant feat. This was not a test flight, other than the fact that every flight is a test flight. But this one was explicitly um, a job. It was their first um, uh, cargo mission, or their first mission, actually ferrying astronauts to and from the uh, the space station. I thought that was very, very cool. Unfortunately, uh, life got in the way, and I was unable to watch anything live. But I was definitely paying attention to the headlines and noted that they were there and saw, of course, like I said, a couple pictures of the Baby Yoda doll that managed to uh, stow away in the capsule and apparently float free at some point. So I thought that was all pretty cool. Yeah, I missed the docking, but I did watch the launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it was a nighttime launch, which was unfortunate because you really couldn't see much on TV. You saw basically a, the plume. Right. Um, and you just kind of, inf- it was inferred that there was a rocket sitting on top of that plume. <laughs> it, it, and the plume was going straight down. So you figured, well, the rocket must Rockets be sitting on top, up. going yep. straight up. Everything <laughs> is probably okay. But, you know, nervous. But, and then, of course, the uh, inside of the, uh, the capsule is funny to look at that that view because of the it's just so clean and white. It looks like a scene out of like 2001: A Space Odyssey rather yep. than yep. you know the old uh, Apollo or space shuttle launches. I actually saw a uh, um, an image making the rounds on social media that actually had a picture of the um, the Apollo console, space shuttle console, and then the uh, SpaceX console. And it's just amazing the differences between all three of them actually. But the SpaceX is clearly I mean, it's, it's, you know, computer screens is what it is. It's the stuff that you and I are looking at right now, actually, I suspect that uh, all touch screens, when you watch them, uh, when you watch them actually doing things, it's very, very modern, very cool. Like you say, very clean. Yep. Um, the other thing I was going to mention uh, that I just thought was interesting, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I wanted to get your idea. Um, the thing that's been making the news this morning is that Amazon has announced um, there's been a lot of speculation about this in, in, you know, in the last few months, but they've actually announced pharmacy.amazon.com. So you can actually hmm. get your prescriptions filled through Amazon and Prime members, of course, get free two-day delivery and so forth. Um, I have decidedly mixed feelings about this. Uh, I think it's incredibly handy. I think as a um, you know, full disclosure, I have a few shares of Amazon stocks. So as an Amazon stockholder, I think it's pretty pretty darn cool. If you have a retirement th- account and you live in the United States, you probably have shares of Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I actually literally yeah. own, you know, a few shares. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but, but still. You know. um, uh, the, uh, the, you know, so from a business perspective, it makes total sense. I mean, it's just another another step in Amazon's ongoing march to dominate uh, basically online uh, sales of just about anything you could want, the um, including that seven hundred dollar PC. You could probably get it for six hundred on Amazon. The um, the the reason that I that I hesitate a little bit, um, and it's actually uh, 
dovetails with a, something that's kind of sort of happened here in this in the Seattle area. We have a local chain pharmacy, uh, and by local I mean they were you know they were they started in Seattle. Uh, I don't know how many branches they've got. I want to say maybe a dozen or two dozen branches in the area. Um, very popular. They're the kind of organization that's been you know supporting all the local events and the schools and this that and the other thing. And as it turns out, they've had a hard time. They were hit hard by COVID uh, in the sense that, um, you know, a lot of their walk-in business just kind of went away, as is true for a lot of retail businesses. Sure, yeah. So they, um, they ended up getting purchased, which kind of shocked a lot of people. That sort of came out of the blue. So they've been purchased by a national chain, um, Rite Aid, who... I believe actually may be owned by somebody even bigger. I'm not even sure. But CBS the, owns Rite Aid, I believe. Okay, even bigger. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's like it's now yeah, a huge so right. corporation. Even bigger. They, they plan to do. Um, uh, they plan to you know keep the name and keep the look and keep the feel and keep the people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, they plan to do that. Whether or not they'll be able to do that remains to be seen. Um, the good news is we've been down this path before. We had exactly the same kind of thing happen with. Um, one of our local grocery store chains that got purchased by um, um, Fred Meyer, who's owned by Kroger. So they're like now these, this local grocery chain. They kept their name, kept their people, kept their look and feel. Uh, but they, in fact, are you know this huge national grocery chain. That didn't hurt them. It didn't change them that much. We're hoping the same thing will happen here to, uh, to our local. Uh, the chain here is called Bartels, the local one. Mm. The... Um, uh, so the concern I have is that this is yet another local versus behemoth scenario playing out again, this time in, in the pharmacy world. Um, you really, you know, there are lots of small pharmacies, local pharmacies, small businesses that uh, are going to be directly impacted by this. And I'm not really sure what to, uh, what to make of that. Uh, certainly uh, Amazon will be able to, bring, I think, considerable force to bear to drug pricing. That's uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, they actually stand a chance of being large enough to maybe, uh, you know, uh, change the dial on a little bit. Uh, certainly not the kind of um, leverage that the small and local pharmacies have. But um, it is uh, like I said, incredibly convenient, especially now, right? I mean, I the medications we get, we get by mail, but we're getting them from our healthcare provider. Uh, but nonetheless, if we had the opportunity, if we needed to get something from a pharmacy and it was available via mail order, today in a COVID quarantined world, um, absolutely, we would be looking at that. But um, I don't know. I was just kind of curious what... Um, what you had to say about about Amazon potentially entering yet another market and maybe taking it over it's it's interesting because it's not as simple as most markets in terms of like if they were entering i don't know video the video game market or you know groceries market or something like that where it's more competition, you know, the little, the little guy, the little pharmacies are going to suffer, even the medium-sized pharmacies are going to suffer, that kind of thing, uh, more consolidation. But pharmaceuticals have the extra issue where they're, you know, literally critical for people's lives, for some people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're not only do, you know, many people need 
their prescriptions in order to literally stay alive. But um, even those that don't, you have these prescriptions, they, they could end up being this major expense that you know really hurts your finances and it's not a choice. It's not like, oh, we decided to get the four-bedroom house instead of the three-bedroom house and now we're suffering financially because we can't pay the mortgage. Um, it's like, no, I had no choice. I was My doctor told me I needed to take this. I pay for this and now I'm kind of, uh, you know, stuck with you know make, spending more money than uh, spending less money than I make, so having more comp more competition uh, because it, temporarily at least it is more competition. It's having Amazon in there, uh, and Amazon is one of the companies like Walmart that thrives on low prices. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it's a tricky thing. It, it's almost like you know on the one hand some people, which a lot of people believe that pharmaceuticals should be fixed prices. You know, that if you take whatever, you know, drug it is like Lipitor for cholesterol, that there should be a reg regulatory board that says this is the price for it. No matter what insurance company you're on, no matter if you have insurance or not, whatever it is, this is the price and that's it. No more of this stuff where, you know, I, I pay 10 bucks, but my actual insurance company pays like 10 times that. And then somebody else on another insurance plan pays a different amount and their insurance company pays something different, you know, that it should just be kind of regulated. Um, so it's tricky. It's like an industry that is really tricky. There's so many facets to it. Right. Uh, right. And I don't know, I don't know what Amazon's going to do by entering it, but I do know that it really wasn't working very well before. So I, it's like more likely that Amazon coming into this will make things better than make things worse. Just because things are, were so bad or are so bad at this point. Right. right. Uh, it is interesting. And I will certainly admit to our listener overseas that the, the whole insurance drug medical system here in the United States is all messed up. <laughs> very, very much so. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I just, I'm dealing with this kind of now. I mean, this is an example of what you get. Uh, it's almost the end of the year, which means I get a new uh, health, health insurance plan next right. year. Okay. Which is totally bizarre. It's like, why? It's, why? What is it about January 1st? So my health insurance changes. Can I just have health insurance and continue to get it? That's how it works with car insurance or anything else. But anyway, so I get a new health insurance plan. They send you information that they they probably are supposed to send you by law saying right. things are changing and they will say vague things in it like this prescription that some member of your family takes the cost of it will change starting january 1st that's all we have to say right now <laughs> it's like what so for all i know the price is going to go down or for all i know the price is going to go up by 50 cents right or the price could go from $10 a month to $4,000 a month. Right. <laughs> I don't know. One would and hope that's not the case. Not, but. <laughs> but there have been, you know, there have been cases of that. Right. So the thing is, trying to find that out is very difficult to find that out. And I, I know that if I probably tried to research it, you know, call and find out, I could get it. I might get information, I might not get information, and I might get wrong information right. about what exactly what's going to happen. The only way to know for sure is wait till January and then see what happens. Yep. Um, and that, if, if that seems to our listeners over, overseas like that's a scary way to live, uh, 
It is. Uh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's scary for those of us that um, that can afford insurance, that have insurance. Yeah. Um, my guess is that we're probably paying for some of the better plans out there. What's really scary are for the people that have no insurance or have just the bare minimum of insurance that can't cover the day-to-day stuff or doesn't cover enough of what they need covered. So, yes, it's it's all very scary here, and it's really unfortunate, and, and we could go down a long long, long list of why it might be the way that it is. But uh, right now, at least, it is what it is. Um, Yes. And I should point out, too, that in most cases of my experience, even though there's the potential for things going horribly wrong, Mm -hmm. in most cases, things don't. Like in most cases, you go and you, you go up to the pharmacy window and, you know, to get this prescription and you, and you worry and you stress, and then they come back and they could say something like, that'll be $9 and 28 cents. Or they say something like, no, that, no, uh, your insurance covered the whole thing. You get things like that. So you worry that it's going to be worse, but it usually is okay. Right. Right. I know that with my health provider, um, it's all again, very, very smooth, very easy. The costs are low. Um, and, you know, for us, it's very easy. The problem, of course, is that um, we certainly are some of the more privileged yes. in the sense that, you know, we've got the coverage, uh, we've got the good coverage, and um, not everybody does. Anyway, um, so Amazon entering that market will potentially, maybe, hopefully, shake things up a little bit for the better. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I will tell you <laughs> that I did go over to pharmacy.amazon.com. And I went to sign in because, of course, you sign in with your Amazon account mm. and they immediately tell you that, hey, um, you know, this is, you know, medical stuff that we're going to be using. So we have to ask you for some more permissions. I suspect it's all HIPAA related, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and then they also say, hey, would you like to throw a pin on your login to, um, uh, to the pharmacy? Because if you share your account, which many people do, other people who have access to your account will be able to see your pharmacy information. Um, I declined just because my wife and I share everything anyway, so it's no big deal. But the point is that um, uh, you know they do end up stepping you through a few additional pieces of information gathering and then fail. Uh, got one of the... Uh, uh, the infamous Amazon dogs with, uh, whoops, something went wrong. Uh, I think it was a, a, a 500 error on the, web, on, the, on the web server. But the bottom line is that they weren't up to the task of even registering me yet. So while it does exist and you can try to sign on, um, there may be best to give it a day or two to, uh, for the dust to settle before, uh, before getting too serious with it. Uh, so, as I was um, donating platelets earlier today, I end up listening to podcasts, and one of the ones that I ended up listening to, actually, I hadn't planned on, I just found out about it today, and that is that Bill Gates has a new podcast. Uh, it is, um, he had a, a great episode today. It's, the, it's actually Bill Gates and Rashida Jones Ask Big Questions is the name of the podcast. Um, there's been one episode, and that one episode is what will the world look like after COVID-19. And it was actually a very, very interesting listen. Um, it's a good pairing. Uh, you know, Bill 
I mean, it, for whatever reason, these are two people that were very comfortable speaking to each other, and they had uh, Dr. Fauci on, who is also a very oh. a very good speaker and and uh, apparently a friend of Bill's from way back. So uh, it was just a good conversation. It's a podcast that I have subscribed to, even after just one episode, just because it seemed like something that could go in some really interesting directions in the future. This first episode was 44 minutes long, um, and it was well worth the time. I actually learned a lot about um, uh, you know, COVID-19 and what's happening and, and what may or may not happen after we reach some level of, of um, herd immunity or whatever it is that's going to allow us to la- take a look at, uh, at coming out of this thing. So anyway, recommend it. It's at gatesnotes.com slash podcast. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Cool. Uh, I didn't have uh, too much time for different things, but I did see uh, an interesting movie called Boy State on Apple TV+. It's a documentary about, apparently there's been a program around for years and years and years where they throw uh, like, a you know, boys from in, in inside of each state into basically an, a government experiment. Mm-hmm. And they do, there's a girl state too. I'd never heard of it before, but uh, apparently some, a lot of our most famous politicians took part of this when they were 17 years old. Um, and it's fascinating to randomly, you know, these boys randomly thrown together, they don't know each other, and they're asked to form political parties, uh, uh, elect people, and come up with, you know, uh, a platform and everything like that, all within a few days. Um, and uh, anyway, I I found it, uh, you know, easy easy to watch. It was just like, put it on. I was like, Ooh, I got to see how this develops. This well, is interesting. So when I saw the title, I was wondering if that's what it was. If I'm not mistaken, my wife actually participated in girls, girls state. Back oh, in the day. Well, it's fascinating. I'd never heard of it back then. Um, maybe Pennsylvania where I would have been, didn't have one, or maybe it just was outside of my sphere of what I was, uh, knew was going on, but, uh, but interesting stuff and uh, interesting to see the 17 year olds and hear them talk about politics and, uh, and try to be politicians. Did it so, give you hope? Uh, <laughs> it, gave, it, I mean, in a way, but at the same time, I mean, these were all filtered, you know, the, I guess the, was it the foreign legion sponsors boys. So then you would go to your local foreign legion, you know, American legion or whatever it was, you know, group and say, I want to do this. And then they pick you. So they're picking like the best and brightest. So in that, there were all these boys, and they seemed to be pretty smart and, uh, you know, you know, able to function really well in, in, at this hard experiment. Um, but they were also the best and brightest. So I don't know. I guess it's good to know there are the best and there are best and brightest coming out. <laughs> they of, do exist. Yes. Yeah, they do exist. <laughs> uh, and all of that. So 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 maybe maybe cool. it didn't it didn't make me feel bad, which is you know different than a lot of things on television now right it made me it was a a marginally positive feeling but but very interesting um in terms of self-promotion this week i would like to point people at why is it so important to use different passwords for everything this is one of those um rules of thumb that we have had for decades literally um that i happen to disagree with it's askleo.com slash 11788 and there's a couple of interesting horror stories about the lengths that people will go through to avoid having to have a new password every 30 days if that happens to be forced upon them. Cool. And, of course, I'm going to plug my Big Sur course, which is out 
uh, now during its launch period. Um, so, any, but anybody that gets my newsletter knows, you know, it's out, and that there's a forty percent off coupon in the newsletter um, uh, for you know goes till the end of this week. Um, cool. So, this is my my big core every year. You know, I do a course like Catalina last year, Mojave the year before that, comprehensive like four hours going through the entire operating system. Uh, good for new Mac users. Good for Mac users that feel they need to go up a level, you know, uh, and really learn some things about how to organize files and and take care of, you know, things at a little more advanced. I guess it, it will take people from beginner to intermediate is what it's really meant meant for. Very cool. I should probably take it. The <laughs> the um, uh, my Mac Pro uh, got updated last week, Friday, I think it was. Yeah, I went ahead and, and said go for it, and uh, yeah, the update was uh, smooth, time-consuming, smooth. Uh, everything worked with one exception. There's one application that I suspect needs a, uh, some kind of an update from the vendor that I haven't bothered to look into yet. Hmm. Um, but it, and to be honest, it you know it looks fine. It looks like a Mac. It all seems to work. So what I'd be what I'd be looking for is okay. What what makes this operating system so much more special than the last one? Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think that'll pretty much do us for this week. Yeah. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh118. If you've got a comment or a question for us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Or you can always leave a comment on the show notes page where you'll find all the links and notes associated with this episode. As always, thanks for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye.